This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am Stephanie Butnick, and I am joined by my co-host, tablet editor-at-large, Liel Leibovitz. The almost Tishrei-ready Liel Leibovitz. It's just the two of us today because our beloved third co-host, Joshua Yaakov Molina, is out there in California. And look, this is a kind of a weird situation. We are a podcast about Jewish life and culture, which means that all we do basically is watch stuff on Netflix and go to the movies, because what else do we do? Like read books or stuff? God forbid. Uh, and if you are a member of the Screen Actors Guild, a member of the union, and you have resolved to join in the righteous strike of that union, you can't be a part of anything that promotes these films. That is part of this strike and its goals. And so, because we will be talking today to some directors of some new movies and talking about some other new movies, Josh and Melina decided he will not cross the picket line and we love and honor him for it. Today on this show, we are sharing an interview with Guy Nativ. He's the director of the new Golden My Year biopic. We also have an interview with Amanda Stern, who wrote the book, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, which was adapted into the Netflix hit that you all just watched, starring Adam Sandler and his daughters, Sadie and Sonny Sandler. But you did not just watch it with a bat mitzvah-aged young Jewish woman, which is uh, my particular pleasure, about which more in a moment. But before that, Stephanie Butnick, this is Erev... Erev Rosh Hashanah. Here we are, only 36 hours to go or so before the big show, depending on when you're listening. How's your preparation It's weird going? that the big show is not our show. No. It's, you're talking about something holier, his, his show. higher, his the, show. The big guy's show. The world's most terrifying performance review. <laughs> I am feeling good. And I've been thinking about something that I've actually never done before, but I really want to do. And I, I don't know how you feel about this, but it is a Jewish New Year's resolution. And mm. I think just as when the end of the calendar, the Gentile Gregorian calendar hits and I'm always December confused, 31st, by the way, when, when that is. <laughs> and we say, what are, our, what are your New Year's resolutions? I actually think this is, as we've discussed, a much better time to set those and potentially even follow through on them, which I don't know about you, but I very rarely do. You know, like end of December, you're like, I'm going to do X insane thing. Actually, you, I feel like do follow up on them. You're like, run a marathon. Yep. Study the Talmud. Yep. I, I, I tend to get carried away. But so I do like this idea. Can we? I love it. So, okay. I read an article that really, really made me think recently. It was an opinion article in the New York Times and it was called Stop Multitasking. No, really. Just stop it. And it was this guy, Oliver Berkman. He's the author of a book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. And it's basically about how hard it is for us to do only one thing at once. We're always juggling. And I think part of this is like the society that has told us that efficiency is key and like unlocking secrets to doing more in this amount of hours and, and like hacking this and that. And something that I'm discovering is like I'm very good at it, but I hate it. And I'm trying and he gives a challenge in the, in the article. He basically says, try doing one thing at once, like just try unloading the dishwasher. And I have. And usually the dishwasher, the cleaning the kitchen is my time to listen to podcasts and listen to audiobooks. And I was just like, wait, no must. I did. I stopped doing it. And I was just like, what if I just huh. did one thing? Because I have a very busy job. I have a two year old at home. I'm trying not to do one when I do the what other. What was it like? What, what was the first time without, you know, this American life in your ears? I like it. And it's kind of bad for like work because I think I should be listening to all sorts of other shows. But this idea of just shutting my brain off and, and just focusing on a thing. I loved it. It's so hard. So let me provide a glimpse from the other end 
of the tunnel here because while you are very good at multitasking, I am notoriously bad at it. In fact, I refuse to partake in it, which is why continuously, you know, people I love and care about very much, including, I don't know, my wife and my friends and, you know, my beloved coworkers, will come and say like, dude, you haven't responded to my emails. You haven't texted me back. I've been trying to reach you on this and that's like, why did you just disappear in me? And I hear it. I understand that it's very frustrating, especially when you just need an answer for something. I'm sorry. But on the flip side, I only know how to like really be completely present in one moment and one thing. And I kind of find it wonderful. And at first I was sort of apologetic. I was like, I'm sorry. I'll try to be better about, you know, reading all my texts. But then I realized like we get how many emails would you say you get on a on a given day? Oh my god, I'm scared to count. Maybe it's three hundred. Right? Yes, yes. For sure. Yes. Like if you just took like since I don't we know, started, let's say a minute to respond to each one of these emails, you have spent how many minutes of your day? A lot of minutes. I'm sorry, I choose not to. It's my time. It's the most sacred thing that I have. I'm going to focus on the things that I want to focus on, and I know that this attitude hurts a lot of people, and I I'm genuinely kind of at pains that it does, but the pleasure of just being in that kitchen, I mean, like, you know what I'm going to do for the next 20 minutes? I'm just going to do one task and think. Were you always like this? Or yes. just like, oh. has your Jewish study, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it Jewish. No, I'm trying no. to play the Liel well, here. No, but I, I think it's actually the flip side. I think the Jewish part makes so much sense to me because this is already my my wiring. So yeah, so here's the resolution. I want to do less at be, one time. Be here now. Yes, as the great Jewish sage as, said. As the great rabbi um, said. I want to do one thing at a time. I love it. I have a um, an adjacent resolution. So Elul, this month that is at an end, is my absolute favorite time of year. It's a time that we're commanded to be introspective and miraculously are given no instructions on how to do it. And my good friend and teacher, who is sometimes a guest on this show and frequently a guest on our other show, Take One, Rabbi David Bashevkin. And as you heard Rabbi David Bashevkin teach us in our Elul episode a few weeks back, Elul could also be an acronym for Aron Luchot Shivre Luchot, meaning the Ark of the Covenant and the broken pieces of the tablet, referring to the fact that when the Israelites traveled in the desert, they carried with them two things. The Ten Commandments, the second installment, you know, the one that was not shattered, but also the shards of the first set of tablets because they wanted to carry their sins with them, because they wanted to carry their failure with them. And my resolution is to pay a lot more time and attention to that because like a lot of us, but I think probably worse than most of us, I have a very compartmentalized brain in which if something bad happens or if I do something that I know I shouldn't have done, I try to grow. I try to have some kind of sense of contemplation and learn from this experience. But then I don't spend too much time thinking about it because it seems to me like, oh, you know, why dwell on the past? Why obsess over it? There's something really beautiful about this teaching of your failures are here for a very good reason. They're here as a training ground. They're here as an opportunity. And you shouldn't dwell and obsess over them as in, oh my God, I can't believe I was so stupid and said this horrible thing at work. But I think there's a way to do it in which you understand that every one of these flaws and faults and failings is really just here as an opportunity to grow in the exact same measure that you have failed. So you should keep it with you and contemplate on it. And and that's what I hope to try and do. 
That's beautiful. So I'll hold you to that one. You hold me to mine. Listeners, write in with your JNY or Jewish New Year's resolutions, unorthodox at tabletmag.com. We'll share them. We'll get an accountability society going. This will be great. Inshallah. News of the Jews. Oh, yeah. N-O-T-J News of the Jews. All right, enough about us. Let's get to let's get to the world at large. Let's get to the the news of the Jews. There's only there's only one thing really this happening week. in the world. This, this week, this has been the month, the year of the bat mitzvah, dare we say. So, the Adam Sandler masterpiece, maybe the greatest movie ever made. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here. You're so not invited to my bat mitzvah. It came out a few weeks ago. We have not spoken about it yet on the show. First I know, of all, damn Elul for getting in the way of that. First of all, it was Elul and it was time to introspect. But second <laughs> of all, look, uh, it took us time. We shouldn't rush to judgment. We really wanted to let the, the movie soak in. So, Stephanie Butnick, as our senior bat mitzvah correspondent. Thank you so much. I Here I am. I have my Stephanie B sweatpants on from my bat mitzvah. Here's, With the Agnes B logo yes, on the butt. Exactly. Red and here, black. Yeah. So, I loved this movie. And I also felt at the exact same time that I hope no Gentiles see it. <laughs> Never watch it. Which is a very strange thing to feel. It should come um, with a trigger warning. Yeah. yeah. Like this a real film. You know, like how thing. on the plane, sometimes it'd have this like, this film has been modified from a yes. different content. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this film has not for it's you. It's just been censored, redacted. <laughs> Correct. I have to say, first of all, Adam Sandler's daughters are amazing. Uh, Sadie Unbelievable. and Sonny. Sadie's just like the awesome older sister. Sunny is our bat mitzvah girl. They're amazing. They're so good. And I thought it was just so sweet to watch the family in action, even with Adina Menzel, you know, standing in as the mom. But their mother was the best friend's mother. Yes. So the whole, the whole, the whole package was was there. If you loved it, I really, really, really loved it. Several things really amused me before, before I get to the kind of my, my big takeaway. First of all, I absolutely loved that the most perfect, unimprovable, morally upright, angelic character in the film was literally the sole Gentile, uh, a Christian <laughs> kid named Matteo. To me, the idea... The exchange student, yes. The idea of making a Christian kid the token model minority is <laughs> so funny. Wait, I have to say... Let I read... the Jews be jerks oh and behave God. super poorly. And the Christian is like the saint because that's what a minority Oh, my God. Is my, the I saw there was like someone had a take. I forget where that was like, I'm uncomfortable by the fact that like there's a Christian savior in this film. And it's like, <laughs> what? Okay, that's insane. I like the one I'm even saying what happens in this movie. Sonny Sandler has a best friend. There's two best friends. They're planning for their bat mitzvahs. They're super excited. They go to what seems, I've heard said, was a Jewish day school. I don't think they go to a Jewish day school. I think they all go to the same Hebrew school after. They uh, go to can, a public school where everyone is Jewish. Yeah, everyone's Jewish. And it's then they go, amazingly all the same diverse. cast of it's characters like, yes, goes they, to everyone. the Hebrew school. Every right. single person that we see in the movie also goes to the Hebrew school where they're all uh, Correct. studying for their bat mitzvahs, bar and bat mitzvahs. And it has the opulence and the problematic nature of just thinking the party is what it's about. It has friendship. It has the crush and what happens when he likes one girl and not the other. I mean, it's it's really amazing. And it's a movie for our times. Well, first of all, the opulence, I thought, was handled kind of really well. There's a moment in it where Adam Sandler, the kids discussed what the theme of the bat mitzvah is. <laughs> and Adam Sandler repeats probably the greatest and still hilarious every time I hear it jokes. Like, how about the theme of the bat mitzvah is Judaism? And a film I thought did a really good job at kind of not belittling the need for a fun party and the really important sociological role that it plays. 
it wasn't like jerky and preachy about that, but at the same time, really emotionally and sweetly connected to the fact that the most important thing about this is learning the Parsha and thinking about what it means to become a bat mitzvah, to become mm. of an age where you're responsible for your own actions. That's actually the theme of the movie because the kid in the film actually has to confront it and grow in the most beautiful, emotional, as we say, menschlichkeit type of uh, <laughs> type of way. It was incredible. But let me tell you what was even more incredible. Watching this film with an actual, just three weeks fresh off of her bat mitzvah, child of mine, who hated, hated the movie with a burning passion, as does every 12-year-old girl that I have interacted with, which, as you can imagine, quite a few given the circumstances, they all despise it. I think for them it is like watching like one of those like Attenborough like nature documentary like <laughs> observe the Jewish girl in her natural habitat as she picks up her butt mitzvah dress like it is it's too so close to home uncomfortable she's like oh my god dad even like that DJ was like so dumb it's like totally not like anything we have I was like I literally just hired a guy who looks sounds and behaves exactly like DJ Shmuley in the movie. Like these things are interchangeable. This may very well be a documentary. I also have to say I'm on several texts where people are wondering whether Sarah Sherman, the SNL star who plays the Hebrew school teacher, Rabbi Rachel, she's from Great Neck, the town I grew up in. And so there are people wondering who she is basing her character (laughs) on. Which which over-the-top Jewish educator is. But even there, like, it is so It's very real. It is so easy to get this character wrong by being like, oh, I'm only a joke. But like you sense that every fiber of that rabbi's being is one billion percent committed to Jewish life, education and like making these kids love. It's just (laughs) she's a fantastic, lovable. There is so much love in this movie and so much pride and joy. Do do middle schoolers still sing Bim Bam? Because I thought it just ends like I'm, I'm, we're in prime bim bam mode, but we're in the toddler set. You know, so that was I, the one thing I was like, mm. uh, okay. <laughs> but again, mainly they sing it so they could do the go quickly, quickly. part in the bathroom chant, which so, is lovely. Okay, so we're going to talk to Amanda Stern a bit later. We're also talking to Guy Nativ. These are two massive movies. These are like our big fall movies. One about Golda Meir, one about the bat mitzvah, two equally important cultural icons. Golda um, about Golda Meir's bat mitzvah. Exactly. Menachem someone, Begin no, was so not invited someone, to her bat yeah, mitzvah. Someone had, it was like, someone was saying it was the Jewish Barbenheimer. The weird thing about it is like, because of the strike, because of the actor strike, no one is promoting these films. Helen Mirren, Helen freaking Mirren plays Golda Meir and no one's talking about that. Liev Shriver is Henry Kissinger, like all these moments and... Adina Menzel is the mom. You can imagine, like, if she gave one interview to one place, then there'd be, like, 600 articles being like, Adina Menzel's Shabbat recipe. But, like, we're not getting what we deserve. We're we're basically crying anti-Semitism here. I'm ready. No, no, no. No. I just think it's a very exciting moment. And so we need to, like, do what we can to basically be really excited about these films and understand that everyone is respecting the strike. But, like, all the Jews we know who, who aren't, you know, paying attention to the particulars of Hollywood... They're so excited about these films. Respect the strikers, support the cause 100%. But at the same time, the Adam Sandler movie, look, I've always adored Adam Sandler for all kinds of reasons, but mostly because it's always like really took pains to give his characters like ridiculously Jewish names. Like Danny Maccabee was one of those like like, ridiculous, like Judah Levy Benitzchak Shimon, like really very hardcore Jewish. And this is just a work of uncomplicated 
joy and pride and just love for everything Jewish, including, you know, all the all the Mishigas. And so just for that, it deserves all the love it could get. And the Bat Mitzvah news just keeps on giving. This is, in fact, the season of the Bat Mitzvah. You I know want... who's so not invited to our Bat Mitzvah? Taylor Swift and our former guest, Gabby Deutsch, has the scoop in Jewish Insider. Before you even read the article, like... We're not even saying what it's about. When I saw this article, I was like, oh my God, someone wrote an article just for Stephanie. Just for me. The universe prepared. I just want to read you. I'm not even going to tell you the headline of the article. I just want to read this amazingness. Here goes. 11-year-old Orly Solzman was at Jewish overnight camp when Taylor Swift made a decision that would change her life. This is serious. The pop star announced in August that she plans to add four additional North American stops to her already massive Eras tour, including three shows in Orly's hometown of Indianapolis. This would be welcome news for most middle school girls to receive in a letter from home. Except Swift's Indianapolis shows, November 1st through 3rd, 2024, fell on Orly's bat mitzvah weekend. <laughs> um, anyway, we're still a year plus out. The next paragraph explains that her parents right away understood they were going to have to change the date because every hotel in Indianapolis is currently already sold out for that weekend (laughs) and they're not going to be able to get any venues. And so this is actually a thing that's happening throughout the country where 2024 bat mitzvah dates, which were at some places were assigned years ago, are now coinciding with pop culture media. We applied for about three years in advance, two and a half years in advance, I'd say. Can you imagine? Yes, I can. (laughs) No, I mean, what would happen? Like, it would just be, it's crazy. It's like the one thing that can immediately sell out every hotel block in your city. Taylor Swift is basically kind of like, you know, the movement of the moon. Like, it could (laughs) impact tides. Exactly. It could move the economy. It could change your bad mitzvah. She's like the most prominent force in the universe right now. Oh, my God. It's incredible. I know. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I have nothing important going on in the next few years. Anyway, a bad mitzvah at a Taylor Swift show. I think that's what we need. So if someone could figure out how to do that. We would be here for it. We can't top that. There's no other news. Taylor Swift, the wrecking ball, coming for your city and your Jewish... Uh, your bat mitzvah. Your Jewish communal your, calendar. Your ufruf, your <laughs> sheva brachas. Nothing is safe from, from Hurricane Swift. <laughs> She's coming to shul clouds near you. That's right. If you can't get a minion, you know why. It's Taylor. <laughs> We are excited to announce Tablet's first ever essay competition, First Personal. Our editors are looking for previously unpublished work by writers living in North America who have never written for Tablet before. They are seeking submissions on the theme of belonging. Where do you feel at home or no longer at home, physically, spiritually, or culturally? How do you find community or a sense that you're a part of something larger than yourself? Are there places where you feel a sense of belonging or alienation or both? Tablet is seeking personal essays about your life and your experiences and how your thoughts and feelings have evolved over time. Tablet editors will review all submissions and choose their favorite five, which they will edit with the writers. The authors of those five pieces will be brought to New York City to read their story in front of a live audience. A guest judge will then select the winner. The winning essay will be published in Tablet and the winner will receive $500. For more information and to submit your essay, please visit tabletmag.com slash essay contest. Amanda Stern is the author of the young adult novel, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, 
which she wrote under the pseudonym Fiona Rosenblum. That was a novel that was made into the Adam Sandler movie that we have been talking about. I caught up with Amanda actually before the movie came out to talk about what it was like to have her novel made into an Adam Sandler movie and what she's working on now. Amanda Stern, welcome to Unorthodox. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. My first question, the first thing I have to ask you is, who is Fiona Rosenblum? Fiona Rosenblum is my pseudonym. She happens to be the most successful person living in my house, but she <laughs> doesn't really exist. She's just my, my pen name for young adult books. And one of the books you wrote is You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, which we have been talking about because Adam Sandler is making it into a movie on Netflix. So what has that been like for you? That has been utterly amazing and surreal and unlike anything I've ever experienced in my entire life. I was on the set. I met Adam Sandler. I met his kids. I met his wife. I met everyone. I met Netflix people. It was extraordinary. It was uh, you know, I didn't expect to be congratulated and thanked over and over again repeatedly by Adam Sandler. I, and I was so, I was actually confused when he did it because I was like, no, I thank you. Like, it's you. You're the one to be thanked. I just, it took me a while to accept the fact that, oh, they were into the book. They're making a movie. That's how into the book they are. And uh, it just for a long time felt like, oh, you were doing me a big mitzvah. So tell us about this 2005 young adult book. I mean, I'm going to be really honest with you and tell you I don't remember much. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my next question was, it came out in 2005, so a while ago. I wrote it in like 2004, so I don't even remember how old I was. What I remember is it's about Stacey Adelaide Friedman, and her best friend is Lydia Katz, and they are in bat mitzvah season, and Stacey is on the precipice of having her bat mitzvah or becoming a bat mitzvah. And she is madly in love with Andy Goldfarb, who Lydia, her best friend, ends up making out with and she gets caught. And so Stacy has to uninvite her from her bat mitzvah. But then she realizes that it's like not the same without her best friend there. And so they have to make up. But the film will be a bit different. One of my favorite characters was Arthur, the little brother, and he got he got killed off. But it was all for a good cause because Sadie Sandler is playing the older sister who they wrote in. That's amazing. So that's Adam Sandler's real life daughter. Yeah, his whole family is in the movie. It's really interesting because there's all these questions of representation. And what we always sort of wanted was like normal Jewish life on screen. We see all of these sort of dramatic sides of things. And, and what you're sort of giving us is just like a Jewish world, right, where a bat mitzvah is the centerpiece of the narrative structure. Does that feel important for you that that's going to be on Netflix? Yes. I mean, it hasn't entirely hit me yet, but I, I know what you mean. You're talking about sort of the centering of deep religiosity, you know, that we see a lot on TV where, where you're sort of in the, the thick of the religion. And this is really in the thick of the day-to-day -day life. And the religion is just, a, you know, integrated into it. It doesn't have to be pointed out all the time. But I don't have kids, so I don't think I 
really, truly appreciate the dearth of Jewish movies for kids. So when I was there, a lot of the people on set were talking to me about how this was important to them because it didn't exist and we didn't really have anything like this for kids. I was like, oh, this is actually kind of excellent and amazing that this is occurring. So yeah, I think it's important. I think that representation of the minutia of daily life is vital, you know, in, in all different communities, but especially in the Jewish community. I mean, it's the perfect thing. It's like you're at your most vulnerable, your most awkward age. There's a thing that you have to do where you go in front of your community to speak, to sing, to chant. Like someone in movies made this up, right? Like this is an, in, this is an insane premise. It's horrifying. Horrifying. And here's the, here's the big secret. You want to know a big secret? Yes. I didn't have a bat mitzvah. Wow. That is the deep, dark secret. When I was writing this book, I mean, I had, I'd gone to a lot of bat mitzvahs, but I grew up with, with no religion at all. We celebrated Christmas because there were so many kids in my house. And my mom was just like, it's just easier. So we celebrated Christmas, but I felt Jewish kind of always in this weird way, you know? So as we got older and older, we sort of brought a little bit more Hanukkah in. But I, yeah, I didn't have a bat mitzvah. It just wasn't part of our world. And so when I was writing the book, I had to do a little bit of research. And then I had to place myself as a teenager into that whole scene, which wasn't that hard because I was a very panicked and anxious teenager. So it was actually sort of fun to play that out in a book and in my mind. I kind of could imagine you like going through the training just as a researcher, trying to figure out like what it would be like to be taking those lessons and learning the Hebrew and stuff like that. Yeah. I can't remember what I watched, but I do remember watching a lot of Jewish films and Jewish documentaries and uh, like I got a little bit too into it and it was it was almost like this is actually has nothing to do with the book that I'm writing at all. Um, and, <laughs> like, this is just for me. Yeah. So it did get, it sort of did get to that point where I was like, this is fascinating. I'm going to take a week off and just like dive into this. Um, but then I did at the time, I was really good friends with this woman. We're still friends with, but we were like besties and she, uh, lived, grew up in Arizona and I flew to Arizona with her to collect her. She had her bat mitzvah file, like a file of all her bat mitzvah studies. And I borrowed it and I used a lot of that to sort of inform the actual bat mitzvah scenes and the lead up. So that was really fun. So your your pseudonym, you know, Fiona Rosenblum has not been writing for a while. You've sort of now done a lot of work under your name, Amanda Stern, and it's very, very different. Could you tell us a little bit about the kind of stuff you're working on now, a little bit about your memoir, about your newsletter, about sort of what what the real Amanda Stern is up to? So the Fiona Rosenblum, I, I will say this, it came about because I was approached to write a book about bat mitzvahs. And right when I was asked to do that, my first novel had come out under my own name. And I didn't want to muddy the waters and get people confused about what kind of writing I did as Amanda Stern. So I picked a pseudonym. So my own writing under my own name has never changed. It's always been the same. And, you know, I wrote nine books for children under the name A.J. Stern. And then my other books are just sort of bleak and dark and sad. <laughs> my my own stuff is is very focused on psychology and mental health 
and sort of the very thin line that we established that divides wellness with illness. And I think that that line is not defined. I think it's very fuzzy. So I, I sort of write about that fuzzy line between the two. I came up with a memoir called Little Panic about four or five years ago. And it's a memoir about growing up with an undiagnosed panic disorder in Greenwich Village. And a lot of my work has to do with sort of the painful reality of being a human being who feels things very deeply. I write a lot about emotion. So that's sort of my work. And I'm working on a new novel right now that is definitely going to explore a lot of those same themes. But also, I think it's going to be a little bit more about motherhood or otherhood, not having a child. So I'm going to write about women who are of a certain age who don't have kids. And you also have a newsletter, How to Live. I do. I love my newsletter. I'm very passionate about it. It's a weekly newsletter, and I do a deep dive into vital concepts in psychology and mental health, and I provide practical applications to your daily life. It really is so fulfilling to me. It comes out every week. It's free. You can pay for it if you want to, to support me and the project. I can't really express the joy it brings me to be writing about the topics I'm writing about and to do the research I'm doing and then engaging with all the readers. And it's just wild. It's been just an amazing, wild year. Amazing. Well, I'm going to send everyone to amandastern.com because that is where they can find out more about you, subscribe to your newsletter, how to live, find all of your books. Amanda Stern, thank you so much for being on Unorthodox. Well, thank you so much for having me. Guy Nativ is an Academy Award-winning Israeli film director. He directed the new biopic about former Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir, starring the one, the only, the dame, Helen Mirren. He joined us to talk about what it was like to make a movie about one of Israel's most iconic figures and starring one of Hollywood's most iconic actresses. Here we are with Monsieur Guy Nativ. Guy Nativ, welcome to Unorthodox. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So before we even get to the movie, I want to talk to you about life as an Israeli living in America. Are there things you like still have to go back to Israel to get or do you just get everything here now? Like, are there like snacks? Are you fully acclimated? <laughs> I think there's a um, Israeli supermarket here and we've been getting what we need. Yeah, I am fully acclimated here. And actually with all the when I moved out here, WhatsApp was not like 10 years ago. WhatsApp was not really a thing and Zoom was not, not, doesn't exist. And now I can be in touch with everyone, you know, my family, my mom, my friends. When I wake up, Israel is like in the afternoon, evening. And when we go to sleep, it's their night. So we, we, we have just a little time to talk to each other. And how are we doing? Is the U.S., are we now providing for your cultural needs? 
<laughs> yeah, look, I, I had a soft landing. My wife is American and I had a family in, in Boston. And so as a kid, I came here many, many times. So I'm, in a way, I, I'm, I am an American in a, in a way, you know what I mean? So it's, um, it's a great combo to have. Yeah, I, I feel at home in, in LA for sure. So this new film, Golda, the Jewish world is very excited about this. We've got Helen Mirren playing Golda Meir. The film is great. Will you tell us a little bit about the process of creating this film, getting it all together and putting it out into the world? I got this script to read from Amazon. It was an Amazon project at the beginning. And I, I had read a very different script than what we have now. It was a massive war movie with tanks and 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 battlefields and golda was a small part of it in a way and i came to amazon and i remember the script night and i was competing to actually direct this film i think barbara streisand was another person that was supposed to direct this film and i came in and i read the script and i told them i told amazon listen this is not how israeli talk this is not how you talk because it was British writing. It was oh, really bring the soldiers back to the to the front and um and, and let them know that we are really furious about what's happening. And I told him, if you want me to 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 take this project, I need to go in and and do my magic with the script. And and you know, I didn't hear from them for quite a, quite a while. Then they came back to me and they said, okay, we we chose you. You are the director. And just for you to know. We have uh, attachment to this script, and it's Helen Mirren. How do you feel about her portraying Golda? So after that, I, I understood, like only, only, only later on, that Gideon Meir, Golda's grandson, he was the first one who thought about Helen Mirren because he saw he saw his grandmother and Helen Mirren, and they said great, and they sent her the script. She read it. She said, "I'm in." It was very fast. But they wanted to know that I and Helen are on the same page and we, we like each other and, and we could work together. So the pandemic happened. And in the middle of the pandemic, she came to my house this year and my, my kids were running around. She came with flip-flops and coffee and just came in and was really super nice, super down to earth. And we spoke for three hours and we understood that we see the same movie. And at that point, we lost most of our finance because because of the pandemic, because everything happened. It became from a 40 or $60 million film, it became much smaller. So they asked me, what, what are you going to do now with all those massive war scenes, you know, from the front? And, and I said, look, I, I grew up on films from the 70s, like The Conversation of Coppola, when you have Gene Hackman getting all his information and all the drama from sound. I also like uh, Blowout, the film that Brian De Palma did. That's also based on sound. And I'm a big fan of The Downfall of Hitler, this, the film that Dust Boots and, and films that are like happening in one location and you feel the claustrophobic environment. So for me, it was take the war and bring it, bring the war into Golda's office, into Golda's bunker, the war rooms, just get a lot of sound that will give us a sense of what's going on in the front. You know, that's one of the things I think, one of the really impressive things that you do, you really do accomplish an incredible amount with entire battles playing out on audio with, you know, radio dispatches from the battlefield. It's still all very exciting, very dramatic, and very suspenseful. Thank you for saying that. Actually, the, the, the sound bites were the real sound bites from the war. We got them from 
from a guy that was was holding those recordings the real recordings so we we actually i play those recordings on set so yeah it was a very emotional uh process we lost amazon on the way they decided not to be part of it and then luckily embankment the british embankment and the beautiful liquor street came on board and just supported us and decided to make this movie happen I really need to talk about the casting of Helen Mirren, one of my absolute all-time favorite actresses and so wonderful and so brilliant and so convincing. But on the show, we talk a lot about this question of whether non-Jewish actors should play non-Jewish characters. And personally, I think she's amazing. I can't imagine other, of course, than the great Tova Felcher. Uh, can't imagine anyone else doing a better job. But I just wonder, how did you feel with the controversy that arose about whether or not someone as iconic in Jewish history as Golda Meir should, in fact, be played by a Jewish actress? Well, you know, there's two aspects to that. Uh, first of all, a lot of people don't know that to make a movie with that scope and that, that budget, you need a movie star. That's the name of the game in Hollywood. And there are two ladies in Hollywood at the age of 70 plus that are basically, you can have a bigger budget movie with. It's Helen Mirren and Meryl Streep, okay? That's that's it. Meryl Streep is Golda. Exactly. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of options to for, for a filmmaker or for a production team to make a movie with that, that, you know, you can make for one million shekels, but with another actor, but, but that's not the case here. That's one. Then I'll, I'll, I'll quote Helen, who said, first of all, the casting question is a good thing, you know, because CODA, the sense of CODA, would have been made completely different with people, you know, uh, they took people with disabilities to play the main roles. And, it, and it's so authentic and so beautiful, you know. I would imagine that today, Rain Man would not have Dustin Hoffman playing Rain Man. You know, so the casting question is an, is a very important question to have, and and that's welcome. But regarding Jews, and again, I'm quoting Helen, saying, "Okay, let's say that only Jews can portray Jews. So tomorrow there's a there's a, a role of a Catholic man. Okay, so only Catholic can play Catholic. So Jews cannot play Catholic anymore, and Jews cannot play Greeks, and Jews cannot play uh, Italians." It's a very dangerous question and it's a very dangerous ask because it's if only Jews can portray Jews, let's put them in boxes, you know? And for me, acting is more than that. It's about the right person for the role. And when I met Helen, I met Golda. I met the, the Neshuma, the soulful. He was also like 29 toured the country, toured Israel as a as a 29-year-old, fell in love with a Jewish man. They went from, you know, north to south, and she slept in a, a lot beaches and, and just had an, an, an amazing time in Israel, picking tomatoes in, in Kibbutz Ha'on. So for me, she had the, the Jewish soul to portray Golda. And for me, that's what's important. She understood Golda. She understood what it means. She She's supportive in Israel. She she stood for the, for the artists, for the Israeli artists. I love that Helen Mirren lived on a kibbutz, <laughs> worked on a kibbutz. That's amazing. But yeah. I also love that Golda Meir's grandson, Gideon, who's a musician, that's an amazing thing that he saw Helen Mirren and was like, that's Bubby. He was the one, he was the first one. He was the first one who said, That's I amazing. see her and I have no problem whatsoever that she's not Jewish. And 
for me, watching uh, Oppenheimer, I didn't care that the actor is not Jewish portraying Oppenheimer. He was brilliant, you know? And I don't think any Jewish hat actors have any problem to to work in this world. You know what I mean? So for me, it, it wasn't a problem, but I accept the conversation. The movie, you know, focuses on Golda Meir as the Yom Kippur War is, is going on and what she should be doing. And I guess I wonder... I wonder if people know about the Yom Kippur War. Like, I know we kind of, like, Jews learn about it and, like, kind of forget about it. And you're like, which one is it? Is it the sixth day? Like, I think that there's a general sense of ignorance is maybe, like, a loaded term. But did you feel any pressure of, like, educating people, basically, on, like, something that's really important for them to know, but they might not actually know while also telling a very good story? There's two things that I didn't want this movie to be. A, educational. There's (laughs) Wikipedia and documentaries for that. It's not a documentary and be propaganda movie. I didn't want it to be like the naive, you know, movies from the fifties that portray like Exodus. I didn't want it to be Exodus. You know what I mean? And I really wanted to be a portrait of a woman and a requiem for a leader. It's, it's the death of a leader. Death of Golda is the death, death of Israel as it used to be, you know, the, the Hebrews. The hubris of, of those commanders that came from 67 and got a giant slap, you know, in this Yom Kippur, who is the Vietnam of Israel in a way, because it's the, it's the war that no one recovered from. Even today, they, they call it the Yom Kippur of democracy, you know, and the Yom Kippur of is a term in, in Israel. It's the Yom Kippur of Maccabi Tel Aviv, the Yom Kippur of Eurovision, the Yom Kippur of that. So it's kind of like I wanted it to be Golda that no one knew. It's, it's, it's like under her skin in a way. And that's, that was my goal. For me, it's not, it's not a war movie. It's more a portrait of every character. You know what I mean? It's like how this older woman dealt with this when she's sick, when she has cancer, when she has a lot of things that people didn't know about her are revealed here. Her nightmares, her PTSD. From, from every soldier. And she was, by the way, she's the only leader that took responsibility and resigned. Show me a leader that today will resign because of the, the, the failure. Doesn't happen. And also, I thought it's a really interesting portrait. Golda at times will say to some of the people with whom she's conferring, I'm a politician. I'm not a military person. But she's in a position where she has to consider her own instincts and sometimes, you know, have to process competing information from different military officials. And I've read enough history to know that it was a really tough predicament to lead the nation and the Israeli army at such a time of peril and turbulence where its very existence was at stake, right? Yeah. No, Golda was honest. She was the opposite of what we see here today in Israel. Humble and very stubborn, very stubborn. She was actually a missed opportunity, you know, because she said she was the kind of a teddy bear. We call it the dubilolo in Israel. Like she said, no, 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 no to everything. She didn't believe a single person, including our enemies. And when she was on her deathbed, seeing the, the peace treaty being signed, she said they need to get an Oscar on, on Begin and Sadat, because she didn't believe it's, it's, it's actually happening. So, you know, she's, it's a different kind of uh, approach, different kind of a leader, old fashioned, flawed, but that's what we love. We love flawed character in the cinema. The fact that it's Helen Mirren, who's played literally the queen playing Golda Meir elevates this 
character, right? This real person. And it elevates the film. And I think it it's it's sort of what Golda Meir deserves, right? To get the Helen Mirren treatment. And I think it makes her a cultural Regal. phenomenon now. Yeah, Regal. exactly. And I think it's it's really nice to see that because I think she deserves it. Well, I'm, I'm happy and fertile. Me too. Guy Nativ, it's so nice to chat with you and congratulations on this film. Thank you so much. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for this interview. All right, time for some Mazel Tovs. I want to start my new year with a Mazel Tov to the amazing Rachel Sumek. She has been on the show. She runs the organization Swipe Out Hunger that lets college students donate the unused food points on their meal plans at the end of the semester for students in need. I saw on Instagram that she just got engaged, and I'm super happy for her. I looked, saw a lot of cute pics, and Mazel Tov to you, Rachel. Mazel Tov to you, Rachel, and Mazel Tov from all of us here at Unorthodox to all of you. Our listeners, our friends, our J Crew, and here's hoping that the year that commences just tomorrow will be one that brings all of us nothing but joy and nachas, a year of learning, a year of good deeds, a year of really being there for one another. A frickin' men. That is it for Unorthodox in 5783. We have a super special Yom Kippur episode for you next week. It is very different from what we've done in the past. We think you're going to really, really enjoy it. Unorthodox is a production of Tablet Studios. The show is hosted by me, Stephanie Butnick, with Leah Leibovitz. I'm Joshua Molina, who's outside picketing our studio right now. We're produced and edited by Josh Cross, Robert Scaramuccia, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team includes Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, Jerome Risquet, with help from Sam Hacker and Jordana LaRosa. This week, we have a special return of rabbinic supervision from Rabbi Ilana Garber, who we look forward to seeing at our live show in Baltimore. Our episode art is by Esther Werdiger. Our logo and merch is designed by Jenny Rosbrook. Our theme music is by Golem. And our news and mailbox themes are by Steve Barton. Send us emails at unorthodox.tablemag.com. Leave us a message on our listener line at 914-570-4869. Get your Unorthodox merch at tabletstudios.com. Shalom, friends, and can't wait to see you in 5784.